0: Welcome to the Grace Life Church Podcast. My name is Parker Smith, lead pastor of Grace Life Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. Our prayer is that the sermon you are about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Life Church Podcast. Thank you so much, Jeff, and praise team. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you have them with you, I encourage you to open with me to the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter number nine. And we're going to continue through the series this morning. And um, if you're a guest here with us, I do want to say a word of welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. Um, if you came in, there is a little bulletin, and in that bulletin there's a perforated card. I encourage you to fill it out. You can put that in the offering plates up front or in the back as you leave. And uh, we're excited that you're here. And um, I just want to say this morning uh, that I'm excited um, to be your pastor this morning. And uh, just over the course of this week, I just began to wrestle with how the Lord may be at work and, and how the Lord might be working even in our midst right now, even going through a maybe a difficult and challenging season. And I just felt the Lord just prompt me with some peace. And just I wanted to share that with you to know that as your pastor, I'm excited about the days that are ahead. And I really believe that this next year, as we turn the corner into 2023, Can you believe it? 2023 coming very, very soon. I just believe that God's going to do something really great among us. And I'm excited about that. And I just hope that you're excited about that as well. And um, I just want to share that with you. And um, I know we were going to start last Wednesday Uh, Wednesday evening series um, called Holiday Hurt and Healing. I was not able to be here Wednesday but I'd planned on getting uh, just multiple copies of just a little devotional. It's just called Grief Walking with Jesus by Bob Kellerman. Um, we have several copies in the foyer. If you would want one of those, if you feel like that would be helpful, this is a very good devotional. It's a 31 day devotional uh, centered around grief. And uh, I just would encourage you to, to pick that up. I encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. And um, we're gonna be walking through Isaiah 53 on Wednesday evening. And so I just think it would be a great time uh, for encouragement. Um, And I just wanted to get that devotional to you so that you would have that, so that you would be able um, to walk alongside that as just a resource to you. I'd encourage you to pick one of those up. We have several copies. Uh, I would ask that you maybe get one per family and you could share those. I don't think we have enough for everyone, um, but please feel free to get that. Also, um, this sermon this morning, sometimes this happens. Um, you wake up and you start looking through your sermon and you think, I'm going to change a little bit. That happened this morning. So just FYI to those that are running PowerPoint, especially in the second point, there's going to be some shifts. Um, but also if you're following along on the Bible app, just make some notes. Big picture, all that I did was I shifted from looking at Isaiah and the Psalms And I'm looking at Isaiah and the fulfillment in the New Testament. And so that will make a lot more sense as we get going this morning. But again, if you have your Bibles, Isaiah 9 is where we are. We're continuing in this Advent series, walking through Isaiah 9, looking at these four names, these four descriptors, if you will, that, that Isaiah gives to us we said it every week. Ricky's hit on it every time he mentions the different candles. But the Advent simply means a dawning or a beginning. It means an arrival. and In the Latin, it simply means to come. And historically, I want to remind you of that um, because it'll be very important this week and next week that Christians often look to two advents. The first advent is the advent that we find ourselves remembering and looking back, namely the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the incarnation, and that's Christ being born into the world. The second advent is the coming of Christ to establish His rule and reign on the earth as King and as of Lord. And so we just remember that, and we live in that tension of two advents, two comings, two arrivals, two The reality of Christ has come into the world and the reality of Christ is coming back to redeem this fallen world. And so Isaiah is writing, thinking of the coming Christ. And we see that these, he gives us these four names, these four descriptors, if you will, to not just show us a name, but to give to us and to let us see the heart of God, the character of God, the person of God, Ultimately, being fully and finally realized in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we saw week one that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He is faithful and he leads God's people faithfully and he gives us the might of a better king so we have hope in all of life's circumstances. He's the miracle of a true son and he gives us hope when we've blown it because of our sin and he's the manifold wisdom and power of God and so he gives us hope when we just don't know what to do. And last week, we saw that He is also the mighty God. He's the God of all might. He's all powerful. God can do anything. But He's also the God of all grace. And He came and He didn't use His might to be a tyrant or to be a dictator or to quail over people. But instead, in great humility, He gave His life as a ransom to save. And He is the God of all might, but He's also the God of all grace. And He's not just in the heavens. But the God of all might came down, and he is our good counselor. And so Isaiah again is riding in the height of a great crisis in the time of Judah called the Syroinformatic Crisis, in which King Ahaz refuses to trust the Lord. He trusts in a foreign king, Tiglath-Pileser III, the king of Assyria, and he defiles the worship of God's people. But Isaiah is reminding King Ahaz, beckoning to Israel, beckoning to Judah, Trust the Lord instead because, as we see in Isaiah 9, I would invite you to stand as we read together God's word in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah says, have hope because of this, because for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe that, would you say amen this morning? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and you would give us ears to hear. God, that Jesus would go before us in this text and that he would make a way because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And so, God, as we open your word, I pray that your spirit will move in our hearts, would move in our souls, and would change us. God, we're inviting you to transform us now. God, you transform us through your word. And so, Father, do a work in us as we study, as we glean, as we look into your word and consider what you have said. And let us not just consider with wonder, but let us consider in awe of who you are. God, we ask that you would do what only you can and change our hearts. May we be changed when we leave here today. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. I want to ask you a question. Very simple. But what do you think of when you hear or when you see a crown? When you see... A crown, someone of majesty, someone of royalty. Maybe that's what you think of. Maybe when you look at a crown, you think of, I don't know, maybe you think of England. Maybe you think of the Queen. Maybe you think of a TV show. Maybe you think of royalty. Maybe you think of a wedding. Maybe you think of the royal family, if you will. Maybe you think of might. Maybe you think of power. And what we see is in this text, and we look at an everlasting father, is that we see that this father, and Isaiah proclaiming to us that he is the everlasting father, that God is also the one who has a crown, and he is a rightful king, and he is, if you will, a sovereign. And we're going to open that up this morning, but... The prophet here, Isaiah, understands, and we've looked at this last week, that the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah 9 cannot simply mean the coming of another earthly king, namely Hezekiah, who would come after King Ahaz. 2 Samuel obviously has something in mind, that there is something bigger going on here. Isaiah understands that there is something bigger happening than just another earthly king coming in secession. Through the throne of David, this king will come and he will defeat a bigger foe than a physical enemy of the Assyrians or the Syrians or the Babylonians or the Romans. No, there is a bigger foe, namely sin and death and Jesus comes and Christ is and Jesus is the final and ultimate fulfillment of this text that he is, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. And in this text, he is the everlasting father. And this isn't a mistake in the Godhead or the Trinity, but rather what this is showing is the divine kingship and the authority of Jesus, that Christ is king and Jesus is Lord. And what we're gonna see this week and next week is really how closely connected these last two descriptors are linked. This everlasting father and prince of peace. This is almost like a series within a series. This is part one and part two next week and how these two are so intimately connected. But I wanna call your attention this morning to a couple of points. The first one is that Jesus is a king who lasts forever. In other words, he is a king who never dies. There is a common phrase or a saying that you may have heard that is shouted in monarchs or in places in which they have dominion and authority of kingship. And it goes like this. The king is dead, but long live the king. The king is dead, long live the king. Have you heard that phrase before? That phrase comes from, it was originally more than likely started with the French back in the 1422 when Charles VI died and his son, Charles VII, came into power. And as his father was being laid to rest, there was a seamless transition of authority from the father to the son. And so the the statement was then likely made in French, and I can't say it in French, I'm gonna spare you from that this morning, but the king is dead, yet long lives the king. In other words, the monarch, the rule, the reign, the authority will continue through the one that comes after him. There could have been an illusion of that even earlier in England in the 1200s, in which the Crusades was going on and King Edward um, was rising to the throne when his dad, Henry III, died fighting in the Crusades. And it was a, a statement that was made, the same thing that was going on. Long live the king. The king is dead. Long live the king. And there's a statement that is found in a historical record that the throne shall never be empty. The heart of that is that the throne of the king will never be vacated. The country shall always have a monarch. And so this statement comes forth that we remember and that we've heard before. The king is dead. Long live the king. This quick transition of death to life to establish dominion and authority. The king is dead. Long live the king. The greatest king that Israel, the people of God, had, had known was King David. King David, historically, for the Jewish people, has been the greatest king, even to this day, that Israel Has ever known. And that is exactly who the prophet says it is from this lineage, through the lineage of David, that this final king would come. You see that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. It is of the increase of his government, there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. When you look in the scripture and you see the development of the kings of Israel, you go all the way back to the book of Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter number 8, Israel wants a king for themselves. They want to be like the other nations. And they say to God, although God was their true king... Israel says to the Lord, we want a king like everyone else. We see all of these kings and these nations, they have a king over them, and we want to be like them. And what they were doing in that moment is that they were rejecting God as their king, and they wanted an earthly king to rule over them like the other peoples. And so God, in great mystery, gives to them an earthly king. Do you remember who it was? It was King Saul. And King Saul immediately, think of this, Israel wants a king. And their first king wasn't their best king, was he? He became prideful. He became filled with arrogance. He didn't trust the Lord. He wasn't humble. And he led Israel astray. And then comes God's people now have no king again. And so the Lord comes to Samuel, and Samuel is maybe a little bit nervous what's going to happen we wanted a king we don't have a king now Saul's been rejected and God says to Samuel I want you to go talk to Jesse because I've anointed one of his sons as a king and I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice with him and so Samuel does that in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and he comes to one of Jesse's sons um, Eliab and the Lord does not anoint him as king and so Samuel comes to Eliab and it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, but the Lord said to Samuel don't look on his outward appearance or his height or his stature because I have rejected him. In other words, that's not the son I'm talking about. And so the story continues in 1 Samuel 16 in verses 8 through 13 and you take all of Jesse's sons. All of his sons come in and they come out and, and the Lord says to Samuel, that's not the one. That's not the son. And then here comes David and Jesse's Son David comes, and he sent a gift for him, and he does not sit down until he comes in verse 12 of First Samuel 16. And they brought him to him. Now he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him as king, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forth. And we know David, the king of Israel, was a shepherd. We know that David, but more importantly, his heart was one of purity. It was one of humility. It's said of David that he had a heart for the Lord. He was upright. It's actually one of the Psalms in Psalm 78 that says that the Lord chose David to be his servant and took him from the sheepfold. And with an upright heart, David shepherded God's people and he guided them with skillful hands. David was a good king. David was the best king that Israel ever knew. Yet David was just like any man. And David too would fall. As good of a king as he was, as pure as he wanted to be, David would be a king that failed. And you see this lineage go forth. And after David's death, David passes away and his son Solomon comes to reign. Though he was wise, Solomon led a divided monarch with Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And both kingdoms eventually would fall and they would come under the leadership of bad kings. And one after one after one, both Israel and Judah, this phrase would ring out in their hearts and the mind. The king is dead. And now what? Who's going to reign in his place? What's going to happen with our security? What's going to happen with our comfort? What's going to happen with our unity? This concept, this idea, really is hard for us to understand even as Americans. But we don't know what it's like to live under a a kingship, if you will. But David and all of Israel knew this. And they wanted to see the king prosper. They wanted to see the king live long. David prays for this in Psalm 61 when he's fleeing from Absalom who's conspiring against him attempting to overthrow his kingdom and David essentially says in Psalm 61 verse 6 he says prolong the life of the king may his years endure for all generations may his throne be enthroned forever before God appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him David is praying and David is writing in there this notion of may the king live long Long. May, you pro, may you prolong the life of the king. And how long will his dominion last? David says, I want it to last forever. Because when that transition of a king and a king passes away, everything changes. Everything shifts. David knew the importance of a king, how important a faithful king was. It's interesting that even Isaiah wrestles with this. In Isaiah chapter 6, you remember when Isaiah was called into the ministry, it was in the year, Isaiah 6-1, that King Uzziah died. In that moment, Uzziah was a good king. And all of Israel would have been wondering, is the next king that's coming in his place, is he going to be a good king? Is he going to be faithful? Because the king is dead... Yet what will the king be who comes and reigns in his place? And Isaiah says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. And he puts his hope into a better king, doesn't he? He says, I saw the Lord on his throne. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, And all of Israel would have been fretting and wondering and worried. Isaiah would have self probably would have been worried, scared. Are we going to have unity? Are we going to have comfort? Are we going to have the security that we once had? Who will reign in Uzziah's place? And Isaiah says, I saw the Lord on his throne. And that God is a king who will reign forever. He is the everlasting king. And when David is writing in Psalm 61, why I mention that is because David is speaking of an everlasting kingdom and pointing to the coming Messiah who will reign forever. And he is an everlasting king, but beloved, he is a king who is also an everlasting father. And though while earthly kings may die, the Lord is everlasting. The Lord is eternal. And you think about that connection of sovereignty and security and comfort and, and rule and reign. Many of you know, even in this room, what it's like to lose an earthly father. The heartache, the pain, the loss of losing a father, it's just different. It's just different. The role that the father plays in the home as the provider, as the protector, as the one who gives wisdom and instruction. And all of a sudden you find yourself thinking, I wonder what they would say. I wonder what they would do. Beloved, because God is your heavenly father and he is your everlasting father, he will always be with you. And he will always lead you forever And you will never be without his kingship and his lordship because Jesus is the king who lasts forever and his reign lasts forever. And I just want to encourage you this morning that the same God who has established dominion and authority on this earth is not off his throne, beloved. On this morning in 2022 in Decatur, Alabama, there is a God who is on his throne and he is still ruling and he is still reigning over this entire cosmos. And he is ruling and reigning over your life as well. And God hasn't lost touch. He hasn't lost sight. He hasn't given up. He hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't abandoned you. But your heavenly father loves you and cares for you. And your heavenly father, get this, is the king of all the earth. And he gives strength, and he gives to us wisdom, and he provides for us to the uttermost. And I just want to say this this morning. I had a small note even here. That because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, And now his dominion rules forever and ever and ever. We have hope this morning. We have hope even in the midst of death. We have hope not because of the grave. We have hope because of the resurrection. We have hope because there is a God who is victorious and reigns, get that, reigns over sin and death. He conquered the enemy. And he is the true sovereign. He is the true king. He is the one who wears the crown. He is the one who is ruling and reigning over the world. And the beauty of the gospel is this, beloved. Are you listening this morning? The beauty of the gospel is this, that because Christ was physically raised from the grave, we have hope in a physical resurrection as well. Beloved, if you've ever been to a funeral... And you've come and you've looked over into that casket and you saw a body that was there. Beloved, the good news is that for those that are in Christ, that physical body has been redeemed and renewed. But beloved, their physical body has been raised with the Lord. It's as real as flesh and blood today. We have hope in a resurrection. We have hope because of Christ. We have hope because Jesus is victorious and Jesus has won. And when you come to to a somber and mourning service of which someone that you love has passed away, beloved, for those in Christ, I promise you, I promise you this, it's not the end. Because God's kingdom goes on forever. And because God's kingdom goes on forever, those who belong to Christ and are in His kingdom, they go on forever as well. And beloved, we have hope this morning that for those that are in Christ, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, we have this hope and we do not grieve as the world who has no hope. We not grieve like them, but instead we have hope because of the resurrection. And we have hope because Christ, our King, our Heavenly Father, has won the victory over sin and death. And so we can face life's most difficult and challenging moments and know that there's hope. There's hope because of Christ, because He is a King who lives forever and He's a King who lasts forever. But secondly, He's also a King who is better. Point number two, the king that is coming is a better king, one that will shepherd God's people better than even David did. And he won't be a tyrant. He won't be a dictator. He won't quail people. He won't make demands upon the people. And over and over and over again, the prophet Isaiah is is showing us the fulfillment of this coming king. And he's showing us the heart of God Christ, And so what I want to do this morning is I want to show you the heart of Isaiah, but also the fulfillment of that in the New Testament as well. What type of king will Christ be? Well, first, he'll be a king that protects and defends the people like a loving father. Isaiah continues to develop his prophetic ministry and foreseeing the destruction of Jerusalem. And in, in chapters 21 through 23 are building toward that end. That's kind of the apex, if you will. And there's a story and there's a prophecy that Isaiah gives in Isaiah chapter 22 that seems very obscure. And when you read it, it's like, I don't understand. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of significance to that. And yet what I want to show you this morning is I want you to remember Isaiah Isaiah 22 and I want to tie this together. I want to show you kind of the, the big picture of what Scripture is communicating and how significant this prophecy and this, this story, this writing in Isaiah 22 is. It speaks of, uh, Isaiah is addressing two of Jerusalem's officials, Shebna, who is a worthless man, and Elikim, who is a worthy man, but ultimately he's inadequate. And what God does is that God promotes Elikim, who's the worthy man, into Shemnam's office. Yet even when Elikim becomes the king, he is not able to support the weight of all of Jerusalem's problems. In other words, it was too much for a human king to bear. And so you have this worthy man, Elikim takes the office of Shebna this worthless man in Isaiah 21 or 22 through 22 look at this as we read this together Isaiah 22 21 through 22 I'll pick up in verse 20 but in that day I will call my servant Elikim the son of Hilkiah And I will clothe him with your robe, and I will bind your sash on him, and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulders the keys, the key of the house of David. Key phrase right there. And notice the language that's about to take place. He shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. We're gonna see that same phrase come about in just a moment. But Isaiah is proclaiming that there is a king who is coming who will be a father to the house of David and he will have the keys to the house of David. He will be the rightful king of God's people. And who is this king? Who will this king be? And then you open up the New Testament and you see that it's none other than Jesus Christ. In Luke 1, you see this. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and the Lord will be and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. And it is Jesus and only Jesus who will be adequate And worthy to lead God's people. And he will be a father to them. Who will defend them. And that's why the psalmist speaks of God. Who is a God who delivers us out of all of our troubles. And that the Lord is good to us. And the Lord is a refuge to those who delight in him. Because the Lord is a God. Who defends his people like a loving father. And the Lord also gives love and care for his people. Isaiah 63, 16, for you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. Oh Lord, you are our father, our redeemer from of old is your name. And that's the same language that Matthew uses in Matthew 1 to describe Jesus and coming to Joseph and saying, Mary will bear a son and his name will be Jesus and he will deliver God's people from their sin. And that's why the psalmist says that the Lord is compassionate to the children, to his children. The Lord shows compassion on those who fear them because the Lord is a loving father. He's a caring father. He's a father that loves us. And he's also a, a God and a father who is concerned with the least of these. And Isaiah depicts this, this coming king, this coming father. It says, when the, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, the Lord will answer them and the, Lord of, the God of Israel will not forsake them. In Isaiah 61, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to open up the prisons of those who are bound. And when Jesus steps on the scene in the New Testament, One of the first words out of Jesus' mouth is in Luke 24. And He's standing in the synagogue in the Sabbath. And you know what He does? In Luke 4, go read it this afternoon. Jesus opens up the scroll and He turns to the prophet of Isaiah. And He reads from Isaiah 61. And He reads exactly what I just read there. Behold, there is good news that has come to the poor. There is good news that has come to the destitute. There is good news that has come to those that have been forgotten by the world. And Jesus reads from Isaiah 61 and he says, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your sight. And he rolls up the scroll and hands it back to the Jewish leaders. Because God is a God who cares for the least of these. God doesn't overlook the destitute. God doesn't overlook the ones that everyone else looks over and says, you're worthless. God has nobody that he counts as worthless. And he sees even the smallest and most minute and he cares for them. And it's Jesus that says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not forsake you. I will come to you. Because God is not only a God who cares he's a god that cares even for the least of these and god's also a god who knows our needs and he knows how to correct us and he knows how to shape us he knows how to conform us and he knows how to mature us and grow us god even knows as a good father he knows how to discipline us how many of you are thankful this morning that your parents disciplined you The Lord does the same. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. In John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. And on and on and on, Isaiah continues to show us the heart of the father A father who cares, a father who loves, a father who gives of himself, a father who doesn't quail or dictate or hold it over your head. But a father who loves you and a father who cares even for the least of these. And he won't merely just have a position of authority and he won't rule with an iron fist. He will be a loving shepherd towards you with a heart of the Father for His own children. He will lovingly guide you and He will lovingly lead you because Jesus is a better King. And because Jesus is a better King, He has a better kingdom. (laughs) And Jesus is, even in the New Testament, standing before Pilate. And Pilate says, Are you the King of the Jews? You remember what Jesus says? He says, My kingdom is not of this world. God is a King over a different kingdom. And then you continue reading in the New Testament and then you come to the book of Revelation. I encourage you to flip over to Revelation 3. Flip over there real quick. The last book of the Bible. Revelation 3. I want to call your attention to that because even as Isaiah set this up of an everlasting father, an everlasting king, it's all coming to a culmination of why I... Spend a little bit of time on Isaiah 22. This is the revelation that the Lord gives to John and gives to the churches there. And you come to Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel or to the messenger of the church of Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One. Watch the language. The true one. Here it comes. Who has the key of David. Who opens and no one shuts. Who shuts and no one opens. Do you remember what Isaiah twenty-two twenty-two said? The exact same thing as Revelation 3, 7. He has the key to the house of David. He opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one will open. And beloved Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that Isaiah is prophesying of. And his love and his rule and his reign will never end. And Jesus will never be off his throne. He will be everlasting. And he will be the best king. And he will be the king forever and ever and ever and ever. And so now it makes sense. Have you ever thought about it in the context of the Great Commission in Matthew 28 when Jesus comes and He comes to His disciples and He says, all authority, all of it, has been given unto Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, all authority. How many of you know that a king's edict is only as good as his authority extends. You see it every day. If someone from a foreign nation were to declare an edict on the United States, we'd say, who cares? You have no jurisdiction here. You have no reign here. You have no authority here. And yet Jesus says, because we understand and we know, the authority of a king is only as good as his authority extends. And Jesus says to his disciples, all authority, every bit of it, where? In heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. He's authoritative over this entire cosmos. And he's the best king we could ever hope for. And he's a king who loves us, and he's a king who is our father, and he is a king who shepherds us like a loving father, and he's a father who rights wrongs, and he loves, and he protects, and he guards, and he defends. And he'll never grow old, and he'll never grow tired, and he'll never leave you as an orphan, and he'll never leave you on your own. Instead, God will be faithful, he will shepherd you faithfully. Especially, especially if you've never known the love of an earthly father. Especially if you're longing the need of the love of an earthly father. Jesus, God, is not just, he's not merely a reflection of our earthly father. He's better. He's not the reflection of our our parent. He's the perfection of our earthly parent. He's the perfection of everything that we wished our dads could have been, would have been, hoped they would have been. Even as a new dad myself, you know what I recognize every single day? I recognize that I let my little girl down. She wants to go all the time. And sometimes I'm just tired and sometimes I'm just not quite ready, right? And I know I let her down. Because we're human, we will let others down. But beloved, because God is everlasting, because God is your heavenly father, he'll never let you down. And he loves you. And he will be so, so good to you because he is a better king and he's a better father. Point number three, as we close this morning, he is also a king who is worthy of worship. A crown implies worth, it, incre- it, it implies worship, if you will. It implies someone of great majesty. We know that Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. And so what you see when you open up the New Testament in Matthew chapter 2 is you see these magi coming to worship the king of the Jews. And you see these wise men coming and they come and they bring gifts and Herod hears of this news and he says, well, I want to go and I want to see this king and, but really he's concerned about the crown that Jesus is wearing because Herod, as an earthly king, is wondering, is this guy going to come and try to take my place and rule over me? And so Herod's concerned about the king and the crown that Jesus wears and one by one, The wise men come and they see Mary and they see her with her child and those magi fall at their feet and they worship even Christ in the manger and they worship Jesus because they knew that he's the true king, that this king is a king that's worthy of worship and Jesus is the true king of the world. And instead of wearing a crown of might, instead of wearing a crown of status, our Lord took on a crown of thorns. And he took the form of a servant and he suffered on your behalf. This king did not take the position of authority or notoriety. Instead, Jesus put on the clothes of a butler. And he came and he served his people, and he did what you and I could never do, namely live a life before God without sin. He was perfect, he was pure, and he was hated for it. And the true king of the world, King Jesus, was mocked, was ridiculed, was rejected. And instead of a crown of majesty, they gave him a crown of suffering. And they wanted to put him to death. They wanted to put the king on a cross and they wanted him dead. Instead of preserving the life of the king, they wanted to kill him, crucify him, crucify him. And he's rejected by his own people. He's not loved. He's not preserved. He's not cared for. He's not worshipped in the way that he should have been. He was rejected and despised by them. And they put him to death. And all of Israel in that day, they thought the king was dead. We put him to death. But God was speaking a greater reality over the reality of the king is dead by the power of God and the power of the resurrection Christ would be raised from the dead and though they thought the king was dead now we see beloved that long live the king and the king will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and he's the same king that's authoritative today and ruling and reigning right now and one day beloved mark it down one day beloved One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the first Advent, you see the gentle, lowly Christ coming to this earth in the form of the incarnation. In the second Advent, you will see a ruling, righteous reign and authority and dominion given to Christ. And on that day, on that day, beloved, what you did with Jesus will matter greatly. We'll all, every one of us, every person in this city, every person in this state, every person in this country, every person in this world who is living and who has lived and who will live before before Christ returns, They will stand before the Lord and every one of them, you know what they'll do? They'll bow down and they'll say, you're king, you're Lord. Doesn't matter what religion they came from. They will now see that Jesus is the true king and every single person will bow the knee. And for those that have trusted in Christ, this will be your joy from all eternity And you will be with your rightful king and your heavenly father forever. But for those who rejected him as Lord, they will be cast away and separated from his love. And instead, they will experience his wrath in a place called hell. And the problem is, beloved, the problem today, beloved, is that what we want to do is we want to ignore the crown that Christ bears. And we prop up for ourselves and think, well, I've got a better one. And so I'll be my ruler. I'll be my sovereign. I'll do what I want to do. I'll be the one that calls the shots. I'll bow to nobody except for me. Oh, beloved, one day you'll bow and you'll bow the knee to the true King of Kings. and His name is Jesus Christ. And what I'm inviting you to this morning and inviting all of us here this morning is to bow your knee now and to say, Lord, why, why wait? Why, why delay? Your earthly crowns may have gotten you a lot of success. It may have gotten you a lot of money. It may have gotten you a lot of fame and notoriety. It may have made you a lot of people like you. I don't know what your earthly crown has gotten you. And maybe somebody in this room is clinging to that earthly crown and saying, I'm never letting this thing go. And it sounds all good and great, but one day you'll see the true king and you'll take that thing off as quick as you've put it on and you'll lay it down and you'll say, I'm nothing. And the invitation that I'm inviting you to this morning and that God is inviting us to is to recognize that even though we may think we're worthy and we may think we're mighty, we're just like Elikim. It's a weight too much for us to bear. And we're not sufficient. And the only one who is the true rightful king is Jesus Christ. And the invitation that Jesus extends to us, God invites us to in Christ, is to lay down our crowns before his feet. And to say it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to you. And God may you rule and you reign over my life. Would you consider that this morning? Will you consider who's wearing the crown of your life? Who's wearing the crown of your heart? Do you submit to anyone or anything or just your own will? You live your life however you choose, whatever you decide, whatever you do, that's what you'll do because after all, you're the king. I just want to caution you. There's a better king. There's a final king. And there's a king who's worthy of worship, and his name is Jesus. And one day, regardless of how you feel or think or act now, you'll stand before him and you'll lay your crown at, your, at his feet and you will lay down and worship him. And what some people don't see today will be crystal clear then Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord and he's the only one worthy of worship because he's a better king he's a lasting king and he's a king who is worthy of all worship and all praise. Would you consider this morning to bow your knee to Christ? Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about Grace Life Church, please email us at gracelifedecatur at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching Grace Life Church Decatur. And if you live in the Decatur area, we would love for you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until next time on the Grace Life Church podcast.